0: On Motorsport 101, we handle all the tough topics. Should this driver have pitted on a different lap? Should this team have signed a different driver instead? Is this race strategist calling the right things? Is a hot dog a sandwich? We can't answer all those questions, but we can tell you that a hot dog is indeed a sandwich. Because if you're still holding on to this idea that it has to be two separate pieces of bread, then every single Subway sandwich is instead a Subway hot dog. Welcome back to Motorsport 101. <laughs>
1: I've never looked at a subway like a hot dog before, and now that will never be able to leave my head. Welcome back to episode 347 of Motorsport 101. I'm your friendly neighborhood host, Dre Harris. Glad you could join us. And in the first of three episodes, three, a triple header, we got over the course of this, probably the busiest weekend of Motorsport we'll probably ever cover Uh in 2022, (laughs) Uh, where all three of our main series were on at once. Um, We are going to be talking IndyCars XPL three seventy five up first. Yes, that's one for you, all American listeners out there. Yes, we're covering IndyCar first. You're welcome. <laughs> um, so, as we go around the horn on this one, first up, RJ O'Connell. Hello, sir. How's it going? Hello, folks. I'm um, just, uh, yeah. Uh,
2: it's uh, it's it, there's a um, there's a different kind of footlong out there, and this is a different kind of race that we're going to be talking about today. Um, I, I feel, um, you can't see it because again, our, uh, our ability to be a, a podcast as visual media was destroyed, but I'm wearing my, my Joseph Newgarden, my, 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 my CFH racing era Newgarden shirt that I've had for years, mm. just, just to celebrate because, uh, uh, I wanted to
1: put the word out that we we're back up. <laughs> He is indeed back up. More on that very shortly. Also with me, Ryan Eric King. Hello, sir.
3: Yes, I I've survived an epically long weekend of motorsport because I think Sunday from oh, the MotoGP race was scheduled to start at around three a.m. Eastern yeah. time, and then by the time the IndyCar race was done, it was around what four, five in the afternoon. Mm. It was a long day.
1: Uh, I mean, NAS- I think we both he... did a bit of NASCAR as well at one point or another as well. So like, it was Sit even later. Far. Yeah, like, it, like, nas- it, it was. Like, I was gonna oversleep, so actually, I was lucky in the sense, like, thank God, I actually that the MotoGP race actually got delayed for an hour. That actually gave me time for my body clock to catch up. But yeah, it was it was a long old day. Uh, more Nose episodes coming up later on this week. But uh, Cam is not with us this week. But he's been knocking on the door for literally some time, asking to come back on the show. We finally gave in. (laughs) He's the IndyCar co editor at Front Stretch and the general nuisance of our Discord server, if the intro wasn't proof enough already. Chris DeHarde is back, everybody. Hello, Chris.
0: Hello, everyone. Sometimes a little bit of chaos can be nice. Um. (laughs) And I got that as I was leaving Dallas. Actually, on getting two in, coming away from Dallas, Um, Mm. I covered the race from the Media Center for Front Stretch and did a couple of other things for Motorsport Magazine as well for their online um, online dealings. And, uh, yeah, it was... It was weird. Um, Jennifer Fryer posted a tweet thread the morning of the race saying that she felt like it was more of a tire test because she didn't see hear that much promotion about the race. And looking back, you could tell it, she's kind of right about that. Um, mm. I will say this. The people that were there were uh, very passionate about it. I saw a lot of people in the garage area, mostly hanging around some guy named... Uh, Jimmy Johnson who was some NASCAR driver, I think, at one point. Yeah, yeah,
2: it's one yeah. Of a few races. But, uh, yeah, they've been,
0: they've been and, and yeah, then so um, I mean, fun. Victory Lane's named after him. But there were uh, there were a decent amount of people there in the in the paddock area during the weekend. Um, but yeah, it. I hope that this race doesn't go away. We'll
1: He's get to it. that. We'll get and to that. Also, one. I'm also yeah. glad
2: that you were able to get back after it seemed like it was going to
0: storm all throughout Texas after the weekend well but going back mate. to before the weekend i mean i had visibility issues with the plane i mean i was going from indy to new york city hiking back to uh dallas and then i had to get rerouted to buffalo hi to rj's favorite team and then on my way back we had like tornado warnings and there were sirens going off all over dfw but um no the turbulence um didn't get the plane down and uh, yeah, everything was just fine. And I'm even so lucky that the rental car uh, economy lot at the airport didn't charge me an extra day because I didn't leave till twelve thirty in the morning. But uh, yeah, everything's good. Ah, oh, hell yeah, I love getting that extra free day on the rental car. <laughs> well, with the economy lot—it's the economy lot. It's nine dollars a day to park there. I mean, mm. you could argue it's after midnight, but no, that was good. True,
1: true that, right? We'll get into the IndyCar Expo 375 right after we remind everybody where they can find us. Uh, all of our details are on our website, motorsport101.com. If you want to check out some extra visual highlights and some bonus content, check out our YouTube page, youtube.com forward slash motorsport101, or on facebook.com forward slash motorsport101. Uh, we're on Twitter at motorsport underscore 101. If you want to follow our personal handles, you can at Harrison101HD, at RJ O'Connell, at Ryan Eric King, and at Cedar hardy if you want to follow Chris on there as well. Check him out if you haven't already. He sometimes goes more than three tweaks without cracking a joke, which is a better rate than me. So, yeah, he's definitely worth a follow. Um, so, check that out if you haven't already. Give him a nice little Motorsport 101 bump from us. It's been a while. Um, we're on Instagram at Motorsport101pod if you want to check us out on there for all the latest content we put out on the website as well. And if you, there's also our Patreon info out there as well. Patreon.com forward slash Motorsport one if you want to back us. All sorts of levels, all sorts of bonus perks on there. Check it out if you haven't already. Right, let's get into the IndyCar Xpel 375. <laughs> so, definitely a tale of two races in Texas. Um, you look back at the score sheet and one thing leaps off the page. Scott McLaughlin led 186 laps of this race. It was a 248 lap over race. That's exactly 75% of the race was led by Scott McLaughlin. Only to lose 500 yards from the line. <laughs> uh, Joseph so shall we say, out-Scotty-Scotty, which is quite the thought. It was a pretty quiet 150, but the last 100 laps were pretty... Pretty pretty exciting stuff. Everyone in, Pena- in, in Penske going at it. Ganassi was involved. Renus VK was involved. Marcus Ericsson, I think, got his first podium finish on an oval as well. So, yeah, this was definitely a mixed bag in Texas over the course of the race. So, gentlemen, I ask you first and foremost, what did you make of the change in dynamic during the race? And, well... This race was kind of overshadowed by the future of this race. Is it still worth going here despite the ongoing problems with the PJ1? Oh, goodness. Um, So I know they did a lot of
2: changes to this race in the lead-up to try and make this uh, a bit more like classic IndyCar at Texas, which is a bit nerve-wracking at times, admittedly, but you can't deny that the racing was entertaining and let's not forget that uh this is one of the few places during the split on the indy racing league side that apart from indianapolis could reliably put six figures worth of people in uh so what they did so there's a number of different things that they did uh they added optional uh barge boards to add more downforce to the car if you need it. Uh they've actually started to just what they've done is that they've they're trying to replace the PJ1 traction compound that you see that's just smeared all up over the top of the corners. Mm. They're trying to replace that with a new resin traction compound that's less detrimental to the Indy cars. And I think the big thing is that Will Power was like hammering IndyCar for this and he got it. They got him 30 extra minutes a voluntary practice session to try and rubber up that outside line through the corners so that more people could actually like race wheel to wheel. And by the second half of the race, they definitely did it. Um, the second half of the race, I'll say much, much better than the first, first half of the race. I was just like thinking, God, am I going to have to sit through another one of these snoozers? And by the end, it was just like, okay, all right, this is great. Uh <laughs> But, so, quality of the race aside, the quality of racing, I think, definitely passed the test. But, King, you know and I know that it's not always about quality of racing that determines an IndyCar's venue's uh, future on a calendar.
3: Yeah, where, well, yeah, aside from the quality of racing, which it certainly helped out, because I think, for the most part, in terms of, Rubbering up the outside lane, it eventually did work, especially, like, some parts where, like, the PJ1 goes through the corner exit all the way, and, like, you could really tell it affected how you raced the track on the exit of four, where you really have to stay down low a real long time. Mm. But, in terms of the people who came out to see the race, those stands look real sparse, and... Mm. Even people at home decided not to watch where the race didn't pull in more than a million people on network television. Mm. And that's compared to over a million people watching the F one race that, you know, started just about an hour and a half before the indie yeah. car started. And, and you're not free to air. Yeah, it wasn't even on free-to-air, it was on ESPN, it was on cable television, and it was the most-watched F1 race on cable since 1995, and it was the most-watched F1 race period in the US since, since 2018. It outperformed even the free-to-air races on ABC.
1: That's money impressive, I mean, I did, I did look at those numbers as well. 18 to 49 demographics, very similar to NASCAR's as well, so um, yeah. Definitely some positives to take away from F1. We'll talk more about that, obviously, later in the week. But me, personally, I mean, yeah, this definitely was a tale of two races. The first 120 laps or so were a pure for insomnia, to say the least. It it wasn't great. McLaughlin had, like, a 15-second lead at one point. It looked like he was going to run away with it. Um, Cautions did come. We'll get to those later. Um, But, like, the second half was... Awesome. Once we finally got some green racing in, we had this brilliant blend of cars jostling for track position, cars trying to make the narrow line work. I mean, you had enough room on the corners for two cars and maybe a cigarette paper, basically. Um, But you had guys either fighting for track position, trying to save some fuel where they could, because it basically became a one-stop race for those final 100 laps, which... I'm pretty sure we're green to the end. If memory serves, um, but yeah, like it—it it was awesome to watch. It was fantastic. That lot, that the final two thirds of that race was was great, and look, the finish was awesome. Like it was—it was, it was hot. It was straight out of Hollywood. I mean, McLaughlin, who had led three quarters of the race, looked like he was virtually unstoppable the whole way through, and. Gets traffic on the final lap, and then New Garden throws the hail mary around the outside and wins. It's it's straight out of like it's it's anime stuff. Yeah, you, you 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 got to watch it to be there. 0.067 of a second between them. It was it was a fantastic finish. Um, glad that the glad that they were able to talk it out afterwards. And yeah, very much an interesting sign for the future that McLaughlin was genuinely pissed off for about five minutes that. Yeah, he, he felt like he probably blown that one, even though he, he drove superb. I like how shit <laughs> changes in a year. Oh, yeah. man. Lucky wouldn't believe. Chris, what did you make of it, man?
0: So, for me, it's about experience. Um, McLaughlin, if he had another decade of experience like Joseph did, he would have gone to the outside no problem, and he would have won that race. And he would have gotten himself closer to that $1 million bonus uh, for Uh, winning a race on a road course, a street circuit, and an oval. He would have been two-thirds of the way there. Good point. And for those that don't know, there is a $1 million bonus that IndyCar is paying out to a driver who can win on a road course, a natural terrain road course, a street circuit, and an oval. Half of that will go to the driver and team. Half of that will go to a charity. Um, Why don't they tell us about this? (laughs) There was a preseason...
3: Press presser uh, press release yeah, about this. There was a release the week before uh, St. Pete, but I guess yeah. it just didn't catch
2: a lot of people. Stuff like the Wisdom million, but yeah. Chris, you you were there. This this looked like this looked like especially towards the end. It was it was fun and yeah, just Joseph's experience.
0: Yeah, they uh, Joseph has a decade of experience that has helped him on ovals that he could draw from to make that pass on the outside of McLaughlin. McLaughlin. Um, just needed some more time, need some more time on novels to be able to do that kind of thing. I don't think, I think Joseph. I actually asked this question in the post race press conference if 2012 or 2013, Joseph Newgarden was leading that race in McLaughlin's place, would he have done the same thing? He said, Yeah, um, oh, great having that experience would help, um, help that, but yeah, after the um, three car incident that we'll talk about later, the rest of the race was all green flag. And it was kind of interesting to see how the drivers were going back and forth with the lead, um, with the way the fuel strategies were were working out. And then you had Renus leading for a while, but then the crew said that we need a yellow, otherwise we won't make it. And he ended up losing, I think, four spots near the end. Um, But, yeah, um, McLaughlin, I I think his personality and what he showed everybody there, more people are going to like him. And, uh, yeah, I'm not happy that he – you know, fell at the end because I wanted to see someone get closer to that prize. But I am happy to see that him and Joseph were able to talk it out. Yeah, they've got <laughs> they've got good camaraderie. Those
2: two, I, I I enjoyed like them hugging it out in victory lane afterwards. That that was so cool. That was very cool. Very cool. Very cool. And Great got scene. the six hundred dollars in cash.
1: <laughs> very they much well. Six
2: hundred dollars in cash, and they're they decided because someone at Penske. Uh, was having a birthday and they were going back to Charlotte that night. Uh, that that <laughs> they were debating the idea of spending it at a uh, one of a number of fine uh, adults entertainment uh, establishments <laughs> in the Charlotte metroplex.
0: But that's neither here nor there. Yeah, I don't think <laughs> that was going to happen.
2: <laughs> ah,
0: Joseph supposedly had to go to a PPG uh, um, appearance in Pennsylvania that night. But I don't know if he even made it because of the um, storms that were taking place in Dallas. Because, as you know, when you win an IndyCar race, there's all these post-race media obligations. Oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> as you do. Right. One of the guys, we, we, we've got to talk about one of the guys who was coming up through the field um, and was getting quite a, a large amount of airtime um, over the course uh-huh. of that second half of the race. Is it, time? And, uh, is it
2: time for the propaganda machine to cash in?
1: Yes, it, it, it is time. Hit the button. Um, yes. <laughs> yeah, this is uh, this, the moment you... It's. I don't know whether it was a good or a bad thing that Lee Diffie said on commentary as the race was going down. Jimmy Johnson is in the top ten. It's the first time he's been able to say that since he got to IndyCar. And I'm like, oh no. <laughs> but Jimmy Johnson... Sixth place in his first oval race. Um, for On Indiana. pace
0: alone.
1: On pace alone, no shenanigans, all thrills. And, I mean, Chris, what did you make of it all watching it? Because, I mean, how did you not root for Jimmy going up the field like that towards the end?
0: I was hoping, so my expectations for Jimmy Johnson were, I, I've heard that he's turned something like 11,000 laps at Texas. It's crazy, um, yeah. So he knows his way around the place. Um, I I was figuring, okay, let's go for top half of the field here. Let's see, thirteenth and up. All right, and then we got to like eleventh place. I'm like, you know, maybe a top ten is actually you know on the cards here. And then he gets to like ninth place, and I'm like, I wonder if he can get sixth or seventh to get in the top quarter of the field. And then all of a sudden, I have the lap chart in front of me here. He gets to fifth place on lap two thirty four, going around Simon Pagenaud, and I'm like, "What? <laughs> like, that just like, that just happened here?" And then and then Pagenaud got him around him on two thirty five, but then Johnson got him on two thirty six. And in the in the uh, interviews on pit road after the race, he said that um, there was a telemetry issue. The team and him did not know how much fuel he had saved, and so in a oh, no. panic. In a panic, he went to a lower fuel map and Scott Dixon got by him on lap 246 and Johnson would finish sixth after running the last three laps in sixth place. A couple of stats on Jimmy Johnson. He made 21 passes, 17 of those for position. Uh, I believe seven of those were in the top 10 and two of those were in the top five. Uh, Jimmy Johnson ran well and it was all about him getting comfortable with the car Uh, as the tires wore off and the fuel burned down his car was you know sliding a little bit on the used rubber and it really made him understand how he could actually drive the car in the corners and I'll just say it right now it might help him on road street courses now that he knows how that car will handle at higher speeds now I'm not going to go as far as Jeff Gluck did and say he might win the Indy 500 because there's a whole lot that goes into that. Mm. That's J.R. Hildebrand. But I think he has a legitimate shot at getting a top 10 in the Indy 500 next month, assuming, of course, that he makes the race.
1: Mm, mm. It's like, what do you, you reckon, Audrey? Um,
0: just to,
2: just to add to something that Chris said, yeah, he ran solidly in the top 10. Yeah. Um, there was a lot of attrition in this race early on, but mm. to his credit, he did not become the attrition. I-, I believe he might have even dodged a wreck here or there. Um, two of them. Two. He dodged two wrecks, which obviously goes a long way in helping. Once he got towards the front, like this is the Jimmy Johnson that they've been advertising since he got here. This is the Jimmy Johnson that we were hoping to see. He finished ahead of your reigning series champion, Alex (laughs) Pelot. I I don't think I, in the same equipment, I don't think I need to, look, there's obviously a lot that goes into that, but that was just, that was a good performance, and I'm not going out of my way to pick him for the Indianapolis 500, but it wouldn't surprise me if he has, if he is in the midst by the end of the race.
3: It's and so, if he does end
2: up winning it, oh my god. It, god, could you imagine? Oh <laughs> Lord.
3: I wouldn't be surprised if he just retired on the spot if he won the 500. <laughs> we're done yeah, here. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. He uh, we're he not stopping the this.
2: <laughs> there are two scenarios where he retires on the spot
3: he misses the
1: 500, or he wins the 500.
0: If he wins, he'll pull a Sam Hanks. Oh,
1: dude. Oh, yeah. I, I, I haven't got much to add to all this besides. Who wasn't rooting for Jimmy on that one? I mean, it's easy to forget, despite all of this and his nasal. The man is 46 years old. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> he is 46 years old. This is only, what, his 17th IndyCar race or 18th IndyCar race or something along those lines? And first time on an oval. And again, like, he looked like he'd done, he'd been doing this for years. Well, he has, but just not in that type of car. But. These were not scrubs he was passing. This was like I said that was Alex Pillot and Simon Pagino who's won everything you can win in this yeah, series. It's one and... thing,
2: if you're, if, it's one thing mm. if you're like racing wheel to wheel with like Dalton Kellett. Yeah. No offense to Dalton Kellett, a who seems like a very nice guy. Yes. But he is. <laughs> you're passing Pallot Pagino. This is a whole step up.
1: There, there, there was a great scene at the end of the race where he and Scott Dixon are just talking it up uh, at the end uh, after the race had finished and you look and they go those are probably america's two best racing drivers of the 21st century right there just you just talking it out after having a fight at 230 miles an hour at oval one not being a surprise at all and the other one would you have guessed that Two years ago that Jimmy Johnson would be racing Scott Dixon on an oval in IndyCar. Um no. One, no. Both, both of them over the age of forty. I mean, that's just it's it's it was it was awesome. It was wonderful. And what an again, it, it's if if you're an IndyCar fan, you have to be rooting for Jimmy here. Like it's it is a win-win for everybody if Jimmy is good. Right? And he was great here and I'm with I'm with Chris. I think top 10 is is doable. Like so if if he leads a handful of laps, if he's in a leading group during the 500, there's going to be a lot of eyeballs on it and that would be a huge dub for IndyCar if that was to happen and yeah, like that is our next oval race. You know, we, we, we got to get to May. It's going to be a long process. And of course there is no guarantees he makes that race. We've seen how ruthless bump they, they can be and has been in recent years. And I'm sure 2022 will be no exception, but, Oh, uh, that, that was fun. And that, yeah. then that was, that was, that was fun. That was awesome. And
2: yeah. just really great to see. Uh, a relatively inexperienced IndyCar driver, thrive in their first Super Speedway Oval race. And now we're going to flip this on its head because uh, <laughs> of, of our rookie class. I think, like, God, only two of our rookies finished, but one of them, uh, Devlin DeFrancesco, oh my goodness, he... He found himself involved in three separate incidents that led to Caution's <laughs> mid-race. He didn't touch Kyle Kirkwood, but he washed Kirkwood up into the marbles and Kirkwood wrecked. Takuma
0: Sato, same thing. And it didn't really touch, but Sato washed up and he wrecked. There was smoke and, between the two of them. There was contact. There okay. was contact. It was, yeah, he it's it was a light touch.
2: Also. And
0: then, Devlin DiFrancesco played himself. He drives oh. in
2: three wide into turn three with Graham Hall and Castro Castroneves beside him. All three of them wreck. Thankfully, everybody is okay. So on the flip side of the coin from Jimmy Johnson, Ryan Eric King, number one <laughs> Devlin D. Francesco fan. What'd you make
3: of that performance? So um we hadn't had to talk about this on the show yet. Like it's a running thing on the Discord server, but it hasn't come up on the show mm-hmm. that uh, when RJ says I'm a Devlin G. Francesco fan, he's saying that ironically.
1: <laughs> and why would he be saying that ironically in this case, King? Well,
2: don't even save the Freedom 100.
3: And. Jump is the nice way to say that. Just simply drove his car into mine and we both wrecked. SIRACING.com, baby.
2: Bring in motorsport simulation.
3: <laughs> and oh, dear. honestly, at the, in that moment, I was uh I was shocked that an actual racing driver would do something like that. Uh though Devlin did have, you know, somewhat of a history of doing this during his brief time in the F three European Championship, I I'd, I'd assume that you know, moving up to the big cars, racing at Texas Motor Speedway, you're averaging like one hundred eighteen miles an hour in in race conditions. You're you wouldn't do something like that in a real race on a, a little faster than that. Oh yes, yeah, a little faster than that, but you know, you're you're going those insane speeds. You wouldn't just dive bomb someone like that especially in a three wide scenario because and you know if you do take a three wide and you know you're heading into a two lane corner you're going to back out of it right you're not going to stick it and like think you can get the move done through the corner right right <laughs>
0: oh it's like I'll just say it right now sometimes you need to have a little bit more experience on super speedways and open wheel cars yeah. Is there is there a way for us to do that with the junior level cars, uh, everybody? yeah We
2: could definitely stand to have more ovals on the road to Indy. I, I do get, yeah. And, and the thing about Texas is, if there is any track that skews more towards having bulk experience, it's this place. Because like mm. I swear a lot of the guys that run up front have probably raced on the IRL side of the split when yeah. that was a thing.
3: Yeah, yeah, like I mean, the only person, well, yeah. the only person up front who didn't race on the, IR, on the IRL side of the split, I could think of off the top of my head was Will Power, but Will's built so Will, Will different. Will, Will,
2: Will's, Will's built different, and he's been playing
3: his. <laughs> he's been really working hard to become
2: the new Oval Master of the sport. Yeah,
1: look, I I don't want to be too mean to the, to a rookie, and you know, I actually was pleasantly surprised at how. Um, modest that um, Ray Hall and Helio was after the third incident because they interviewed them both when they got out of the medical center. And um, like those two men have had, you know, a knack of speaking their mind over the years when when angry. And uh, Rahul was uh, actually quite measured. Look, the kid's got a bright future, but you can't do that, man. Yep. <laughs> Basically, and, and Hedio was, you know, you know, a bit miffed. You know, he, he had the very uh, funny, angry like uncle point to the camera. But I think he, I think he just understood. Look, it's a rookie. It happens. Um, but look you can't do that. I mean, there were three separate cautions that you were all responsible for. Like, that's rare. Like, 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 we didn't, we didn't even get that at Nashville last year (laughs) where we had one person responsible for three separate cautions. I mean, that's just, oh, it's not great. And, Look, we knew what this was going in in Texas. Like I said, like the lanes for the corners really was two cars at a push. You could just about get two through the path. You know that was obvious by the time we'd gotten to the yeah. point of the race where Devlin was at. Why on earth are you trying a free wide? Like that was never gonna work in a million years. Yeah, because um,
3: say. Even if he didn't put the car in the apron, and he was able to make it through the corner, he was pretty much putting Elio in a position where he was going to go into the wall regardless of what happened. And Elio (laughs) ran in that
0: upper groove in the um, um, voluntary practice session that we'll get into later on, but I'm I'm just sitting back here thinking, you know, if Devlin's car doesn't wash up a total of about two feet between all three incidents... He probably finishes the race.
3: Yeah,
0: yeah that's, it's that's just, what it was in all those cases that just washed up about a half to a quarter of a lane each time. Although, but like, the third accident, let's face it, he was part of the tire was on the apron. There's nothing you could do about that.
3: Yeah, but like part of part of it in in the post medical center interview, he, he says that there was nothing you could do, nothing he could do to prevent the car from washing up when like. I don't have any real world experience in these cars, but there's something easy you could do to prevent a car from pushing up the track corner exit.
1: Lift. Like, it's not. Slow down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Even I know that. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, just. The, the, you're going at 225 miles an hour around these corners. Like, live, learn to fight another day. Like, yeah, like that. I'm not
3: saying that he has to lift off the throttle completely. Like a half lift, no. a quarter lift, just anything to get the front to bite. Yeah, yeah just this
2: do is what a you race where do. you could really like where you really had to kind of pick your spots to overtake. Because as we alluded to, there was a lot of like single file running and a lot of fuel saving during during mm. spats of the race, and you know that's that's fine. I, I didn't find that as egregious as like the the stop start nature of like the. The second quarter of the race, uh, but yeah, that's that's got to come with the experience, and I'm sure Devlin knows that. And God, we'll, we'll get in a bit. God bless America. That was just emblematic of a <laughs> bad, bad Sunday afternoon for one team in particular.
1: Mm. <laughs> Oh, dear. It, it, it was ugly. It was ugly for, you know, two big name teams in the field. Um, and we'll get into a little bit of that now, actually, because there's something I did notice Um, looking at the results page and looking at, and looking at the race as immediately as, the, as it ended. Top seven, all the Penske's, first, second, and fourth. New yeah, Garden, McLaughlin, and Power in fourth. And then three, five, six, and seven, All four Chip Ganassi cars. er, And Ericsson was the first of them over the line. I still can't believe that, you know. I I shouldn't be so surprised at this point because, like, Marcus was genuinely good last year. But uh, that was, I think, I'm pretty sure that was his first podium on an oval. But, uh, yeah, uh, you know, Ganassi's cars were three, five, six, and seven. So the top seven featuring pretty much all seven of arguably the two best teams in the championship. Gentlemen, do you think this is the fight for the twenty twenty two championship right here and now? The between probably six of these seven cars.
2: I gotta tell you, my preseason pick of Colton Herta lifting the Astor Cup is not looking good. Let's just rip mm. the bandaid off. Andretti Autosport had a wretched weekend. It started when Alexander Rossi uh, hit with a uh, jump start penalty for for moving out of his lane on the start. Has his car shut off during one of those cautions for a wreck involving Defl- Devlin DeFrancesco and somebody else. Roman Grosjean's turbo just fucking exploded under caution, and his Super Speedway Oval debut ends before the halfway mark. Yeah, I'm- and then Devlin crashes out, and then just to add a little extra insult to injury, Colton Herta, who's on track for a legitimate top five finish, has. Finger trouble on the left front, on the final pit stop, and it knocks him off the lead lap.
0: To quote uh, Shannon Sharp, one of the greatest TV commentators of all time, <laughs> to say that Andretti Autosport struggled at Texas is a disrespect to struggling. When we look at, <laughs> and, and, and let, make sure I, I'm, under, I'm understood correctly when I say this, every race team wants to do very, very well whenever they are competing. It, it's just, you know, you don't have to say it. You know, it's like, oh, they, some people want it more. Colton Hurd have finished 12th. The other three Andretti Autosport cars out of a 27-car field finished 24th, 26th, and 27th. Oof. And Rossi... Well, once
2: again, it is Shank Racing who have the best Andretti technology <laughs> cars in the field, which I'm bad, though. <laughs> and it, it's, and
0: what's, what's frustrating, though, is, you know, Alex Rossi finishing last. As I said this in the media center, if it weren't for bad luck, he wouldn't have any luck. He just... I don't know what it's gonna, what you can do. The cartoon anvil that Marshall Pruitt references frequently has just not let up for them at all, and I hate it for them because you know full well how many sponsors they have, the partnerships that they've generated, all the the preseason buzz with Roman Grosjean being there, Colton Herta being a legitimate championship contender, and this happens. The cars you, are quick. Yes. Don't get me wrong, the cars are
2: quick, but that that's just that's not good and if you are on the subject of cartoon amples king i know you were down on mclaren sp going into the season uh, mm. at least a little down what the hell was that Felix rosenquist wins the poll there he's finally saying right you're not going to kick dirt on my indycar career i have taken pole position and then he drops out of the race with a mechanical failure Pato Award clips one of his crew members in the in the pits, and that obviously wasn't good, and I'm glad to hear that that crew member is doing well, uh, not injured from the contact, but another lackluster weekend for McLaren. Hey, their, their luck from Bahrain finally carried,
3: followed them over to Texas. Yuck. Oof. Yeah, oh, that was... where yeah. it, it feels like the thing I talked about with... Well, in the season preview about, you know, McLaren, they might be able to put a, put a fast car together, but operationally, this team's got problems.
2: And there's already rumors about that Paddle Ward may be thinking about looking for the exit door.
1: Yeah, it, it, that's that's kind of what happens when uh, Zach may or, you know, maybe or maybe doesn't sign one of his direct competitors as a development driver. You know off the tent in the Yeah, for We'll two probably years talk go, about Shh. this
3: more on the F one mm. side of things, but yes. Uh, mm. since the last time any car raced, uh, Zach Brown has signed Colton Herta to an F one development deal at McLaren.
2: I'm not waiting for Michael to get that entry
0: slot.
3: <laughs> By Vines. the way, worth
0: noting, uh Felix Rosenquist, I think it was a right rear tri shaft that might have had an issue, that was definitely at that corner of the car. But mm. Rosenquist not winning makes it a 14-race streak in a row where the Pulse sitter at Texas has not won the race. Oh, Damn. Yes. Yeah. And Pato, um, because he hit pit personnel, they had to replace the nose on the car, and he had to restart the back of the field for that caution, which was actually the one for Sato and DiFrancesco's uh, collision. Ugh, yeah.
2: Okay, but but it can't all be bad. Let's. It can't all be bad because Penske and nasty
3: though, Penske and Ganassi are looking good no (laughs) and it's not like Penske and Ganassi look good and yes uh, McLaughlin might have you know won the first race almost won the second race it's certainly not the Scotty show they're definitely Mm. he's not going to be the only person in contention for wins it feels like you know everyone at the top two teams yes including Jimmy Johnson could win a race (laughs) this season
1: yeah, if, if if the right oval falls Jimmy's way, like, I mean, why not, right? I mean, the way, t- Marcus Ericsson just finished third. Like, I mean, he was in contention for the win for a good chunk of that race, and we don't expect Marcus to be up there on ovals, and yet there he was. He he just keeps finding a way to yeah, rack that was, up these that top tens.
2: Oh yeah, Marcus from That was that was out of his met- one-time mentor's playbook.
0: At St. Petersburg this year, Marcus told me that there was a lot that they had to work on in the offseason. He finished sixth in the championship last year. I asked him what was his main thing he had to work on. He said ovals. Double points at the 500. He missed some points at Gateway. And he said that the difference between running a tenth on an oval and running for the win is a very large gap. This right here shows that the work that the Ganassi team put in, especially with him, has paid off.
2: Yeah. The next time he wins, it ain't going to be no fluke no no
1: and yeah i mean we've barely even mentioned it as well S- a salute to the captain his 600th win across <laughs> decades of motorsport for roger Penske. 600 wins across, across the board
2: different decades and countless countless championships 600 wins that's that's a lot of wins
1: yeah, that is nuts. Yeah, like I said, given Penske have not fared the best ovals in the last couple of years or so, to get their cast one, two, and four is it's it's virtually perfect. I mean, it's almost literal perfection. I mean, that was brilliant driving from all from all of their team. Ganassi, look, Alex Palou is doing exactly what he did last year. Goes about his business, unassuming. Didn't look special at any point in the weekend. Finishes sixth. Perfect. Like, <laughs> can't say any more than that. If if it's not your weekend and you're still finishing sixth, you're doing something right. As far as I'm concerned, um, yeah, like it looks like the these two teams are a cut above. Andretti still looks like a overstretched mess at the moment, by the looks of it. I know mechanics, are, uh, mechanical problems are mechanical problems, but you know, having a botched pit stop and just chucks just to throw in the pile as well was a write-off. McLaren, oof, you know Pado again wasn't particularly great all weekend. Felix finally does have a good qualifying session. And again, Carl lets him down to a degree. It's it's it, it's all been a bit of a mess in that midfield right now. And yeah, Cream rises to the top in IndyCar, like it has a knack of doing, and yeah, Penske, Penske and Ganassi, I I I think it's gonna be one of these I think it's gonna be one of these main line six, definitely. And as King alluded to, I, I definitely think that johnson's got a shot to win a race if, if if circumstances allow we've seen many a crazier thing on an indycar oval i wish we had more indycar ovals to be honest with you. I, said, I oh haven't... geez yeah
2: yeah, yeah. yeah. but it, uh, it just goes back to that thing like regardless of quality of racing how safe a track is or isn't if you're not putting asses in seats uh there's going to be less incentive for people to go like we're talking about like there's a there's a there's a video out there that described the 2015 California race as the best race nobody watched, and it hasn't been yeah. on the calendar since.
3: Yeah. And like, and the thing is, the the big draw for IndyCar to run at ovals for the past well the past decade and even longer was, besides getting people into the into the track itself, on average. Oval races get bigger TV audiences than road courses. And that advantage is getting smaller and smaller each and every year. IndyCar stops running more and more ovals.
2: If Texas Motor Speedway is fortunate to come back on the calendar, because we know, like, you know, Circuit of the Americas is like gunning for that regional slot on the calendar. They want that back. They do not want to be a one and done deal. But if Texas Motor Speedway comes back, they got to do something to get the fans back in. And I don't know whether that's put it back in prime time, put it in a different slot in the calendar, bundle it up with a
0: concert to get other people to come. Can I have a four,
2: please? Absolutely. Sure.
0: So, sure. When it comes to this race promotion, is one of the biggest things that we need to find in IndyCar nowadays. When we look at the high V. Um, company they're a grocery chain out of iowa and they have completely gone all out gung-ho on the iowa double header they've got like different country acts i forget who all they have but they have a bunch like was it gwen stefani
3: and they're turning um, into a well they're
2: they're
0: turning into like
2: a uh, music festival
3: i think that to me, that's the problem. That IndyCar relies on their partners to do the promotion for them when no other league does that. Even the NFL, the behemoth of American sports, still runs TV ads yep. promoting the NFL itself. Yeah, and you look mm. at um,
0: not just that, but you also look at the the people over at Gateway, Curtis Francois, Chris Blair, John Beachy and all of them, the Bomberville yep. Auto- Automotive Group. They put in a lot of work and just old school promotional stuff with posters and billboards and everything else to try and get people to go to that race. And it works. But when you go to Texas and you you know, big Haas, the humongous TV on the backstretch has like a 20% of its bulbs are not working and it's pixelated all to hell when that was a major selling point of the track. And then to hear This is from a fellow writer's family that concession stands where they were sitting at were not um, staffed when restrooms had no power to them. It's like, what's going on here? This yeah. Dallas.
2: This is the crown. This is supposed to be the crown jewel of motorsport in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. A, a, a market that is still <clears> profitable. <throat> I know Texas Motor Speedway has had a troubled history, to say the least. Like NASCAR fans will tell you, this place is a bit of a white elephant. But you'd be stupid to give up on that market
3: entirely. But they got to yeah. apply themselves. Yeah. Where? Well, it's to that point where I said that's the problem. Where IndyCar needs to promote itself to the point where. IndyCar going to a place is a draw and that promoters pretty much don't feel like, well, we pay the sanctioning fee. IndyCar is going to show up regardless. They have to feel that, hey, IndyCar leaving would hurt us. Yeah.
0: Dallas Mm. is the fourth largest media market in the country. And to lose this event would be a massive blow i mean when you look at the top five media markets in the country dallas is number four they have texas motor speedway los angeles is number two they have long beach which is a great event i'm going there in a few weeks i can't wait but they also had fontana and well i know where that what happened with that and then you look at number one new york well they had watkins Glen, which is a few hour drive away but it's still you know a drive a day and Pocono, which is
3: what King, what
0: two hours away? Yeah, right? yeah. two
3: and a half yeah. hours away. Like technically, it's like it's on the border of New York's media area. And then,
0: and then you get the third largest market in the country, Chicagoland. There's or Chicago. There's Chicagoland Speedway, which is about what hour, hour and a half it's away rotting. from Chicago. Uh, yeah, Chicagoland Speedway was built twenty years ago, and it's rotting. Exactly. Yeah. And then the fifth largest market is Houston, and they had the street race out there, which.
2: Yeah, they just they just raced up in the parking lot of the Astrodome. Th- that's the thing terrible. where
3: where you say that IndyCar leaving would hurt IndyCar, it should, like that's pretty much an environment where the promoters are not going to do anything, and pretty much if they do promotion work, like you know the Bomberitos do at Gateway, it's because they care about IndyCar, not because it's profitable. They care about IndyCar. They're doing it out of generosity. As much mm-hmm. as I hate to
0: say it because a lot of people want to clown on him, you know who else cared for IndyCar? Eddie Gossage. Yeah. 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 Fair Ed- enough. Eddie, G-
2: Eddie Gossage may have been a bombastic idiot, but he cared about having IndyCar at that track to the point that he was willing to shut Circuit of the Americas out, before, in a sense. But we'll see what yeah. happens. I we'll mean, see. I definitely understand that, that, that like, I didn't want to be right in saying like this event served no purchase purpose other than to appease uh, people nostalgic for a certain area of the sport, but because it turned out to be a good race. I just, I worry that this is a day late and a dollar short. To close mm-hmm. on something a little more positive, man, Kyle Kirkwood on restarts before he got knocked out of the race. 10 cars <laughs> pass it, 45 minutes. I know we're ripping a bit, but
1: good grief. That was good. That keeps yeah, great.
2: great at the five hundred.
1: I, I look forward to that. King Kirkwood, indeed. Uh, yes. Our second king on this on this fine motorsport podcast. That was Texas, everybody. Then it, it was a fun time. I I, do, I would like to think... I'd like to oh. hope we come back. IndyCar will be back on April 10th in three weeks' time at Long Beach, back in the April slot. Maybe that will resurrect Alex Rossi's bad run of form. Until then, <laughs> basically you can find us one more time YouTube and Facebook.com forward slash motorsport101. We are on uh, Twitter at uh, Motorsport Underscore 101. Um, I can pass the handles one more time. At Harrison101HD. At Ryan Eric King. At Chris DeHardate. the I should say. And at RJ O'Connell. Um, Motorsport 101. pod for our Instagram page and all the details and written stuff. So a little bit more from me as well on what I thought of Texas. As well as everything else this weekend. Because I had to do three of those over the course of the weekend. F1, MotoGP and IndyCar. All of that on the blog section. Check it out. Motorsport101.com. All of that is over there as well. We'll be back a little bit later on in the week to talk Formula One in Bahrain. And to your shock, the winning car wasn't silver or purple. I know. Shocking, right? Until then, I've been Dre Harrison. They've been Ryan Eric King, Chris Hardy and RJ O'Connell. Till next time, sayonara.
2: Later, y'all. Bye. <laughs> See you. <laughs> Oh man, you know what else would happen if we if we lose tests off the calendar? It means less opportunities for for a drunken brawl in in the Buckies. Oh, so <laughs> we're here at
3: Bucy's.